morning, Vintage Church. How are y'all doing today? Y'all doing all right? Man, it's like everybody just woke up late and decided, you know what, I'm going to church at 11.15. Come on. Man, I was talking to somebody coming in. I said, only a preacher likes a full room. Come on. Everyone else would like some more elbow space. I want to encourage you guys, if you are a little bit uncomfortable, especially if you're a guest, I'm so sorry for that. We are working on it. We actually just poured concrete on our brand new uh, Thousand Seat Auditorium right over there. Yeah. Get you guys a little more space, a uh, little longer services so we can have some more time for worship and the Word. Uh, but we're, that's coming. For those of you who are visiting with us for the first time and maybe the first time in a while, my name's Stephen, and you are here on a very, very special weekend where we're launching a brand new teaching series. If you're new, that's how we teach through the Bible on the weekend. Sometimes we'll just pick a book and we'll go all the way through that book. Um, other times we'll pick a topic or a range of topics and tell you what the Bible has to say about them. The neat thing about this model is it makes it very, very easy to dig deeper in the small group uh, environment. If you are just now starting on the series, it's also a great time to jump into a reframe small group. All of our small groups follow uh, the Sunday services and dig deeper into the material, but you also get to connect in conversation. It's kind of hard in here. Uh, you guys are so close to each other, you probably don't even want to talk to the person next to you. Come on. Uh, but small groups are really important. It's not just about coming and receiving, but it's being known. It's knowing and being known by others. So I want to encourage you to jump into a small group. Uh, before we jump into week one, which is going to lay the foundation for the next eight weeks as we study uh, the different areas of our life that I believe God wants to re- frame. Uh, I do want to invite you, if you have not attended Membership University, we have one happening right after this service at 1 p.m. We'll clear out, we'll reset this room, and we'll come back. Uh, we will have, uh, all the food will be provided. If you didn't if you didn't register, don't worry about it, just come on, we'll take care of it. We also have child care available, children's programming, we'll also feed them. Uh, and it's no charge, and so here's what it means. There's no excuse. Cancel your plans. Membership U was designed to help you move from a big room like this into deeper community and what it means to really be a member of God's family. It's not just about consuming, but it's about allowing God to use you. And so I want to encourage you uh, to do that. Make sure you can sign up for membership you as well. So we're going to jump into week one. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jeremiah 29, 13. Jeremiah 29, 13. I want you to hold your place there. One of the things we're going to do over the next eight weeks is we're going to talk about what it looks like, right, the, the biblical guide to being healthy. Now, when you hear the word health and wellness, or the phrase rather, your mind probably snaps to all different kinds of things you've tried before, but they didn't work. Uh, maybe you have a goal this year to lose some weight. Maybe you have a goal to work on a relationship or maybe to get a promotion or learn a new skill at work. Maybe you just have a goal to overcome something that's been holding you back in your health, or in your life. Here's what we tend to do when there's a presenting problem. We go to Google, come on. We just Google it, and we say, we, essentially this is the gist, fastest way to desired outcome. And then there's all kinds of suggestions that come up, all kinds of magic pills, all kinds of hacks. And what we're going to learn through this series is that lasting change in your life does not happen overnight. It happens down a path that God leads you. And so that's really what we're going to be focusing on this series, getting God's mind on our lives so that we can see for it what he sees for it. Notice God calls Moses up the mountain. He didn't call them down in the valley. Why? Because down at the foot of the mountain, they were worshiping the golden calf. What happens when you go up a mountain? All of a sudden, your perspective changes. 
When your perspective changes, guess what? Then you act differently. You can see the big picture of your life, and it really is God's secret. So here's what we're going to do. The first four weeks is we're going to essentially give you a container, a biblical container that you can take all of your goals, your aspirations, your priorities, all the things God's put in your heart, because in a room like this, they're all different. They're all different depending on your season of life. Maybe you're a young parent, you just want to get some peace and quiet. Come on. Maybe, maybe you're older and the kids have left. And you're like, man, I, I need to get some more noise in my life. Come on, don't worry. You can come over to the Martin house any time. Right, no matter where you are, we all have different goals, different things that the Holy Spirit's put on our heart to grow and develop in each year. And, and so what I want to do in the first four weeks is I'm going to give you a container. I'm going to give you a container that you can put that in. And then in the following four weeks, we're going to talk specifically about what emotional health looks like. What does mental health look like according to the Bible? What is physical health? look like? What about your relationships? And I am super excited because I had lots of help on week four and week seven. Week four, we're going to talk about habits and we're going to use some of the discoveries in neuroplasticity and neuroscience to be able to talk to you about how God actually designed your body biologically to work a certain way. Uh, Of course, Dr. Kyla Martin has helped me with all of that. She is here today. Can we give it up for Dr. Martin? Come on. We're also on week seven, we're going to talk about physical health. And so when we talked about physical health, um, I'm going to have a great message on that. But I want you to understand if it upsets you, uh, she wrote it. Okay, come on. She wrote it. We also have um, what we're calling a good steward steward workshop that she's spearheading alongside my friend uh, Stevie Smotherman. Uh, junior. Uh, obviously, uh, Dr. Kyla Martin, she's uh, board certified in family medicine and lifestyle medicine. Uh, Stevie Smotherman actually coaches uh, collegiate and professional athletes on how to think right for their game. He is an incredible mental coach. And then I'm going to come in and talk about vision and time management. If you're interested, uh, please register. I will tell you this, we are not going to take that many people because we're going to have a lot more interaction going on in the sessions. And so it will be first come, first serve, okay? There's only, only so much room at the end, okay? And so make sure you get in uh, in time. That's going to be the beginning of March. I had you hold your place in Jeremiah 29, 13. Let's go back to it for our topic today, the foundation of everything we want to reframe in our life. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all, everyone say all, with all your heart. Today, I'm going to challenge you to reframe your faith. You could sum it up with all your heart. You may be able to call it whole heart devotion to God. Did you know that from your heart flows everything in your life? Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now you might think fear, we're supposed to be scared. That, that word is closely akin to honor. You honor God. You know what happens when you don't honor God? You know what happens? You'll never spend time getting to know Him because you think you are Him. You'll put yourself at the center of your life and you'll be the God of your own world. Look around our world. How's that going for us? You see, the first thing you've got to come to is this realization. There is a God in heaven and I am not Him. There is a God in heaven, and I am not him. Everyone say, I am not God. Oh, man, isn't that good? You know what that means? The problems you're facing that are too big for you, the things that you can't possibly know that are going to come at you, even the things you've done in your past that you can't change. Did you know that because you're not God, he's already taken care of all of those things? 
He gives you a clear and focused way forward. And there's an emphasis here on heart. When you fear God, you'll spend time to know Him through His Word. And here's what I know about walking with God. I just uh, made a commitment at the beginning of January that I was going to journal every single day. Now, before you men look at me in that tone of voice, no, it's not a diary, okay? Teddy Roosevelt wrote over 125,000 letters in his lifetime, and he was a man's man, so don't look at me like that. But it's interesting as I'm writing, as I'm journaling and reflecting on what God's doing, I'm writing about the day and different highs and lows and things that happen, and almost every single time I get to the very end, amazed at how God connected it all. You know what happens when you fear God and you put Him first? Then you get to know Him through His Word and you take steps that He tells you to take. As you continue to take steps, you can't help but journal or look back and love God. Why? Because He never leads you to a place where your foot's going to slip or stumble. That's really what today's message is all about. I want to challenge you on what you think about your faith, how you see it. A lot of people see their faith like an accessory, you know? Like this jacket is an accessory. Isn't it nice? It's new. Thank you. Right? Your shoes are an accessory. Your purse, right? Well, in the South, your shoes are an accessory. Come on. Uh, you have accessories that you add on to your life. When your life's really low, where does everyone go? Church. After every major catastrophe, where do they go? Church. When everything's going good, guess what? 11.15 ain't full. Come on. That's the tendency of our life. But if we can see our faith coming from our heart, as the center of our life that feeds into every part of our well-being, it's amazing what God can do in our life. Just think about the human heart. It weighs less than a pound. It beats 100,000 times a day and over 2.5 billion times in the average lifetime. Your system of blood vessels, arteries, veins, and capillaries is over 60,000 miles long. That's enough to go around the world more than twice. It's not just amazing. It, it's literally the center of all human life. Without your heart, your body would quickly cease to work. And as we're going to learn in week seven, we talk about health. Heart disease is the number one cause of death physically. Did you know it's also the number one cause of death spiritually? The Bible over and over and over again makes a parallel between our heart physically and our heart spiritually. So goes your heart, so goes your entire life. Why? Because the heart is a metaphor in the Bible for your inner life. We have a tendency, as we're going to learn today, to go to the outside. I want to lose weight. Let's get to the gym. It lasts a couple weeks. We stop doing it. Why? Because quite frankly, we didn't actually believe. There's a value problem, right? It goes deeper. There's something inside. We don't see the value. You know, I used to go to the gym when I was younger to look good. Come on. Now it's like, well, that's not going to happen. So now I go to the gym because one day I want to be able to hold my grandchildren. Because one day I want to finish the race that God set for me because I have a vision for where my life's going. You see what I'm saying? Totally different. Totally different. There's motivations. And we're going to talk about this inner life because as you cultivate these motivations, they drive everything in the world. Matthew 5, 8, God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. He says pure, not perfect. There's a difference there. The motives of your heart, your direction of your heart. We stumble, we fall. There's things we don't see. There's things we disobey, right? There's, there's moments. Some days you take 10 steps forward and nine and three quarters back. Come on. Right, but, the, but the key is, is our heart pure? Are we moving in the right direction? When you see heart used in Scripture, the heart is the center or the source of the whole inner life. Thinking, feeling, willing. It's the seat of the physical, spiritual, and mental life. Listen, 
We will get to heaven one day and be so, so shocked at how thin the veil is between the natural and the supernatural. And I want you to think about this for a moment. God's the supernatural, yes? Because you know he's also the God of the natural. He designed you to work. He designed your brain to function. He designed your body, right? He designed everything about you. He knows you better than you know you. It's hard for us to understand because we tend to separate our lives into compartments. And that's a very Roman Greek thing to do. I should say Greek Roman, Greco-Roman thing to do. It's not a very Hebrew thing. And this is interesting because when Paul in Thessalonians, he talks to believers about how to see their life. And he says, hey, you know, you got to separate your life and understand it in spirit, soul, and body. And that's so helpful for us, you know. Your spirit's the part of you that connects with God. It's born again. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotion, your thinker, your feeling, your chooser. Right? And then your body. Well, we all know what our body is. We get hungry. You guys are hungry right now. I <laughs> see it on your faces. I'm taking all my time, okay? Maybe just a little bit of your time. But we get that. But it, it, in, in the Hebrew, when you see the word heart, it's all of those things together. They, they, they didn't separate their life into different compartments. And it's much of the compartmentalization of the West and of the modern world that's actually leading to us not understanding or connecting the dots with how God's called us to thrive. Because we, we see things as separate. They're not interconnected. But I, I, this happened to me years ago. I went to a physician because I had an issue in my back. And um, they asked me all of these questions. Like, a ton of these questions. My back hurts, I wanted to yell at her. But I didn't. I sucked it up. Years ago, my wife was, um, I think you were a resident then. And I come home, and I'm mad. I'm like, that stupid doctor. My wife looks at me and goes, actually, you're stupid. <laughs> and she taught me an interdisciplinary approach. Physicians are trained, if they're trained well, in an interdisciplinary approach. There are nine systems in your body that all interact. They're all connected. You, one of them goes away, you die. You're done. They're all interconnected. There's indications all over the place. And they're trained to ask questions to connect at least three to four of those systems so they make sure that that problem in my neck isn't actually a blood flow problem, isn't actually originating somewhere else, or isn't a math. Are you following me? Okay, th this is how you need to see your life. Okay, you have one life. Okay, you're all together. So when we talk about the word heart, that's what we're talking about. And, and this is important. Jesus always taught to the heart. Jesus taught to the heart. It was his signature move. Always. Jesus always taught to the heart. Mark 1, 22. The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. You see, here's what happened. Jesus came, and all the Pharisees were so concerned about what the outside looked like that they neglected the inside. They looked really good on the outside, but they were rotten, Jesus says, in Matthew 23, 27 on the outside. And Jesus flipped it. Jesus knew that lasting transformation for a person was not to focus on the outside first, but the inside first. And he began to teach to the heart. You might remember the young rich ruler. He came to Jesus and said, I, I want to follow you. What do I got to do? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And he lists five commandments that have to do with people, how you treat people. He deliberately leaves out the first five and how you deal with God. The, the young rich ruler says, I've done all of these since my childhood. Jesus looks at him and says, Right? He says, there's one more thing you haven't done in Mark 10, 21. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. You see, on the outside, 
he obeyed the letter of the law. But on the inside, he violated its spirit because God wasn't first in his life. His stuff was. You know, that's why we talk about tithing and giving. It's not about God's house. It's about your house. When you can understand that you're not created by God to be under the slave of what's called mammon, which is money when it's personified as God, you can then be free to give freely to others. And you know, God always provides you with plenty to give away. It's hard to be generous when you're broke. That's why God teaches you rules about budgeting and how to think about money and how to steward what you have and how to be honest and walk with integrity and how to get up early and go to bed late when you're young. Learn how to work, get some skills. Does that make sense? And so we see this play out. He even says it with murder, Matthew 5, 21. And you have heard that the ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, even if you're angry with someone, uh uh-oh, I was angry with someone last service. What about you? Even if you're angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, I've done that. Anybody done that? Don't look at me like that. You're in danger of being robbed. If you curse someone, you're in danger of the fire of hell. What's he saying? You're going to go to hell if you do any of those things? No. What he's saying is you guys think you're great because you don't murder, but you don't realize murder starts in your heart. And you have murderous things in your heart. Many people in that crowd would be singing Hosanna on one day and crucify him, crucifying him on the next. Does that sound like social media to you? Think about that for a minute. Next, what about adultery? This is a tough one. Matthew 5, 27. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in her heart. I was taught in high school to always bounce your eyes, you know? Bounce your eyes. There's nakedness everywhere. Bounce your eyes. It's interesting. Why was I taught that? Because wherever your eyes go is where you go. This came out in the last service, and I think it's great for this one. This is why pornography is so dangerous. Wherever your eyes go is where you go. You know, you know as you get married, right, you have a family, your, your taste, right, in the opposite sex should mature with your spouse. That's how it's supposed to be. For example, if you ask me, what's my type? I would say about 5'4", blonde, skinny, about 36 and a half years old. <laughs> what's going to happen in 10 years? Well, if I keep my eyes right, I don't look at porn, which by the way, perverts, it's not real anyways, complete fabrication. You know, you look at this fantasy, it's not even true, you wouldn't want it even if you got it. You don't have to do anything for it. That's interesting. You look, you look, your eyes go. Guess what? That becomes your taste. This is why you have 60-year-old men who want to be with kids. 18-year-olds, where pedophilia comes from. Pornography is awful. And it all goes down that path. It messes with how you think. What is it about? It's where your eyes are. Where are your eyes? This is the idea. What he's saying is, listen, listen, you got you to stop it at lust. Like, all adultery starts with a thought that leads you down a path That's what he's trying to do. He's speaking to the heart. So here's what I want to do for the next few moments. I'm going to teach you an ancient prayer in 15 minutes that I believe can completely change your life because your life flows from your heart. That's a point. I think I skipped a point. You guys are taking notes. You get mad at me when I do that. Your life flows from your heart. Okay. It's called the Shema prayer. And it's sent, you're thinking, okay, is he going to go super Hebrew? Hebrew? Yes, a little bit but so did Jesus. You all know this prayer as the greatest commandment. Jesus was asked, what in the word is is the greatest commandment from God? Now that's difficult. I just finished Proverbs and I I couldn't even narrow it down to like 100. They're so good. It was almost an impossible question. The Pharisees were trying to trap him. 
and he turns it back on them. And he recites a prayer that ancient Jews and even Jews today say several times a day to recenter their heart. It's called the Shema prayer. He responds in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: 37, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Okay, so this Shema prayer is actually from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. Look what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. There is a template here that I believe as we use throughout this year to recenter our heart. How many of you know our heart has a tendency to drift? Our affections, right? Our desires, they have a tendency to shift. This is, this is how do we come back to a place where we're building everything else on a solid foundation? It's the Shema prayer. And I'm going to break down these words because they help teach us about why the Jewish people use this, why Jesus quoted this, and how I believe it can help us keep our heart pointed in the right direction and the faith, the center of our life. First, you have the word here, which is the word Shema. The word actually here is the word Shema. Okay, to hear or to pay attention is also to respond. This is fascinating because in Hebrew, there is no word for obey. Just hear or listen. So when you hear or listen, the assumption is you obey. You see, we don't do that, do we? We hear a lot and we separate those two. But, but what the Bible would say is if there's something that God's told you to do that you've heard but haven't done, you haven't actually heard it. That's what the Bible's saying. So this is huge because it's foundational. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. Obedience is the basis of your faith. Obedience to what? To knowing God's word, to living his way, to participating in church family, right? To growing up in the community of God, to honoring him with your life. It's to obey him when he speaks to you where you are. James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are fooling who? Yourselves. The next word, and I love this word, is the word Lord. You see this repeated over and over again. This is the personal name of God. Without the vowels, which is how the Jews would write it, because they would never spell out God's whole name. Okay, it would be Y-H-W-H. Okay, it first appeared to Moses. Who do I tell Pharaoh sent me? That's the word. The personal name of God starts there. It's used over 6,500 times in the Old Testament. It is not broad God. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one true God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. The God of all time. Revelation 22.13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is so important because when we're talking about whole heart devotion, guarding our heart, reframing our faith, There is one God in heaven, one God, the God, the personal name of God. It's not lots of ways. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. It's not multiple ways. It's the God of the Bible. It's Christ, Yahweh. So next you have the word ahava, which is the word love. So this is important because we say, I love you a lot. We even say things like, I love, I love that sandwich. I really love steak. Some of you weirdos say, I love working out. No, you don't. 
No, you don't. By the way, it's pretty funny. I'm in the gym, and I go to the gym not because I want to, but because I absolutely have to. I'll die. And I always take my glasses off, put earphones in, and usually a hat to cover my eyes. But every now and then, somebody in the church will notice me, and they'll completely ignore that I have headphones in and come up and try to talk to me. One day, one day, somebody walks up to me in church and says, Pastor, I saw you in the gym. And I said, cool, cool, I didn't see you. Uh, but he goes, he goes, you look really ticked. I said, it's because I am. I don't like being there. <laughs> By the way, if you like the gym, you're like a, a cult, like CrossFit or something. Come on, the Marines, I don't know. Anyways. But this word love is the broadest possible love. It's the multifaceted love of God. It's not the narrow, erotic love, although it's, in, it's encompassed in a relationship between one man, woman, with God in life. It's not the brotherly love, although that's there. It's also the corrective love. It's, it's the love that God gives us right when we need it. That word from a friend that stings a little bit, but ends up saving our life. Right? That correction of thinking when we're thinking wrong. Deuteronomy 7, 7 says, The Lord did not set His heart on you or chose you because you were amazing. Paraphrasing. For you were the smallest of all nations. There's lots of other amazing nations. Look what he says. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. A few things about love I want you to think about. God's love originates from His own character. God is love. God is love. Anybody who says anything about love that's apart from the, the Bible, the Word, it, that, that's a counterfeit. How do you know a counterfeit? I, I studied this. They train people to spot a counterfeit by teaching them the, by teaching them to recognize an original. So they actually, every little detail of an original, when you know the original, you can spot the counterfeit. When you know God's love, you, you won't be led astray. When you know God's love, you won't be tricked. When you know God's love, you, you follow me, you won't be led to the slaughter. 1 John 4.16, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in His love. God is love and all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. Next, God chooses to love. Love is not just a feeling. Love is an action. God demonstrated His love. For this is how God loved the world, John 3.16. He gave His one and only Son that anyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's what makes Christianity so unique. Islam means to submit. Israel means to wrestle. God invites you into a relationship with Him. He doesn't bully you, punish you, or possess you. That's not what God does. The greatest gift He gave you was the ability to choose Him or not. Next, we respond to God's love. And that response is wrapped up in one sentence. You ready? Or one word. You ready? Repentance. Repentance. God loves us, so we change. People are always like, well, He always hung out, he hung out with, the, with, the, with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Yeah, but they didn't stay that way. The Bible says that Matthew made restitution, repented and made restitution for everyone that he cheated. It likely bankrupted him, but he did it because it was right. The people who were around Jesus, even the woman caught in adultery, let the one without sin cast the first stone. They left oldest to youngest. When they were all gone, Jesus said, is there anyone left to accuse you? She says, no, Lord. And he was the only one that could righteously do it. And he says, neither do I. But he didn't stop there, did he? He said, go and leave your life of sin. God's love is action. It's action. We respond to God's love. Next, we have the word heart. I'm on time. You guys are going to get out maybe, maybe 10 seconds early. The word heart. 
Again, we talked about this understanding of heart. There is no like separation. Your heart is your whole life. It encompasses your whole being. You know in your heart. You understand in your heart. Wisdom dwells in your heart. You use your heart to discern between truths and lies. You feel pain in your heart. Did you know the term a broken heart comes from the Hebrew Bible? When you say, I got a broken heart, that's actually from the Hebrew Bible. You can fear or be distressed in your heart. Your heart is also where all happiness and joy reside. We think it's on the outside. It's not. It's on the inside. There's a difference, right, between joy and happiness. Joy comes from the inside out. We can be happy or not with the circumstances surrounding us. But we can count everything joy, even when things go wrong, even when things don't work out like we think they will. A few thoughts on this. Your heart is where your thoughts, motives, desires, and affections are. This is why it's important that you change them. We're going to talk about how you do that next week. How you point your life to a different direction and you change them. Next, the heart is where the sin problem is. The heart is where the sin problem is. Ezekiel 36, 26 prophesied this. And I will give you a new heart. We're speaking of Jesus being born again. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Here's the key. If you think you're saved and you've gotten meaner and harder, you're not saved. This happens with me. People think I'm mean, man, sometimes. I mean, you see me 10 years ago. I tell you, I get better. I get more and more tender. Me and Kyla were talking about this the other day. I had a staff person walk up to me. I was like, man, five years ago, you would have never been able to have that conversation. You were so kind, and you listened, right? You compromised. You, you talked it out. You see, you should get softer, because here's what happens. The more you find out about God and how good He is, and the more you adjust your life to it, the more you know you have to go. And it, and it humbles you, and you go, you know, you know what I look at the young people around here? There's lots of them that do all kinds of dumb things. They do. I look at them and go, I did way dumber things. And I go, man, they're like five years ahead of me. I think I'll just chill out for a minute, give them some space to grow. Does that make sense? That's that idea. Next, you have this word nefesh, which is soul. This word appears over 700 times in the Old Testament. This is not like your soul trapped in a body. That's not what this is. Okay, your soul is referring to your living, breathing, physical self. It's also referred to as life itself. Sometimes in the Bible, when it's talking about a person's whole life, it will, it will, it will use this word for I or we or he or she, speaking of their life. A soul is you. It's your life. You don't have different compartments. You just have one life. It's your living, breathing, physical being. Jesus says this about life, and he uses this word, Matthew 16, 25. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. In other words, if you try to grasp your life, it'll slip between your fingers. But if you surrender it to God, he'll hand it back to you better than you've ever had it. Jesus gives you a new heart that results in a new life. This is key. Many of us, we want life change, but we, don't even, we haven't even surrendered our life to Christ. We're in disobedience, rebellion to God, and we want the God of the universe who made us and created us to work a certain way. We want to do it with His results, but on our terms. It doesn't happen that way. If you're in here and you're far from God, it's one of two reasons. Number one, you actually think you can do it better than God. That's called pride. Another one, also called pride, is you don't believe that God exists. Isn't that wonderful? What are you going to live, 75 years? That book's crazy. It's only been around for thousands. It's the accumulated wisdom of humanity. It's an eternal book. It reads you. You don't just read it. The Bible says that God resists the proud. Your life feeling resisted? Struggling with meaning and purpose? That's why. 
The Bible says he gives grace to the humble. What's that grace for? So that we can change, so that we can grow, so that we can grasp the life he has for us. There's this word as I close, this final word in the Shema prayer. It's ended with a very interesting word. It's a word called ma'od. This word is translated strength. And it doesn't actually mean strength. It appears over 300 times in Scripture. And it's essentially an adjective that gives emphasis or punch to something. It's, it's kind of like when you send a text and you slam it. You know when you slam it? Or for those of you that don't understand that when everything's in all caps, you're screaming. And it, by the way, if you put everything in all caps, you're not actually screaming anything. Okay, that's what this word is. It's an emphasis word. It's used, God said it was very good in Genesis. Cain was very angry. Saul was very happy to be king. Now this word, as we close, because we're going to close where we started with the words of Jesus. We're going to start back with his quotation of the word. This word was actually open to interpretation by rabbis. Jesus was and is a Jewish rabbi. He is. And, And when he recites this, in Mark and in Matthew, he puts a word in there that's not in the Shema prayer because it was open to interpretation by the rabbi. Let's read his quote. Mark 12, 30-31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Look what he did there. Do you see it? Now this is backwards because it's Hebrew. But he emphasizes your mind. That's what we're emphasizing. When we talk about reframe over the next several weeks, when we get into the specifics and the framework of how do you do that, what we're focusing on is not just what you do because that's outside-in thinking. We're focusing on how you think because that's inside-out thinking. Man looks on the outward appearance and tries to get a gym membership in December thinking he's actually going to continue going to the gym in February. But God looks at the heart. Oh, no, 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 no. You need to do that because your vision is bigger for something else God's called you to do. That moves you forward. He uses the word mind. With all your soul and with all your mind. Pow. Get it? Did you get the, te- did you get the text? Boom. Mind. That's what we're going to do. And here's my prayer for everyone in here. 35 seconds. We're on time. You're welcome. My prayer for everyone in here is that we would surrender to how God wants us to change how we think. We think we know everything. We think we got it all figured out. But I gotta tell you, every time I open up God's word, I realize, oh my, I didn't even see that. Every time you come to church, you hear a message. You don't need to hear new things. You need to do something with the old things you heard. And when you practice them in your life, when you allow God to change how you think, he changes your life. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I thank you, Father, for everything you're doing in our church family. I thank you, God, for this series. I, I thank you, God, that as we lean in to the beginning of the year, as we take stock of how we think and what leads to how we act and we try to align that with your word, I pray for your grace. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak to each and every one of us wherever we are about the one thing that we need each week. I thank you, God, that you've not called us to jump and leap over buildings in a single bound, but God, you have called us to take the the takeable step that you put in front of us. I pray that you would give us courage to step out and obey. Father, that we would build our life on your solid foundation. We love you, Lord. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stay in an attitude of prayer for just a moment. If you can avoid getting up and moving, we can avoid any distraction, any kids crying, we can take them out. This is a very, very important time 
Whereas we stay in an attitude of prayer. Maybe you're in here and you're far from God. Listen, I don't have to ask you an awkward question. I don't have to like shame you or call you forward and embarrass you. You know in your heart if you're playing with God. Maybe at some point you followed God, but you're not following him today. Your heart got led astray. Maybe you're in here and you've never followed God because of the pride of your own heart. But your life's falling apart. And the word of God says that the same God that raised Jesus from the dead inspired every word I just read to you in scripture. And it's pulling you. That's the Holy Spirit. I followed Christ for nearly 30 years and I can save you a whole lot of heartache and pain. You will never be all that God created you to be apart from the one who made you. And you cannot know him apart from Jesus who died on a cross for your sin because you're not good enough. Who rose from the dead and conquered death on your behalf so that he could resurrect your life. The step is surrendering your heart to God. In a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for everyone in here who's far from God who doesn't want to be. And if you're in here, his heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and you'd say, Pastor, between you and me and God, I want you to include me in that prayer. If you would just lift your hand so that I can see. Is there anybody left that I see? You can put it up, put it down. I see hands go up all over the room. What's more important than me seeing you is God sees you. God sees you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a simple prayer, but it's supernatural. It's the power of God to save you. God's not a bully. He's not a tyrant. You have to surrender your life and invite him in. Like Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, you have to believe what the Bible says about him is true. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to have all your questions answered, but you have to put your faith in him. That he died on a cross for your sin, that he resurrected from the dead, and it's that power that's going to meet you in this prayer. It's that same power that's not going to leave you where it meets you. It's going to change you. It's that same power that runs in this church and the people of God. We're going to come alongside you and help you grow. But first, of your own free will, you have to make that decision with your own mouth. In a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you raised your hand and you really meant it, I want you to say this prayer loud enough where you can hear your own voice. Allow it to be an expression of why you raised your hand. As a matter of fact, all of the other believers in this room, we're going to say this prayer loud and in faith just to encourage you in this moment. Church, we believe in what they're doing. Let's pray this prayer all together. Let's pray, Jesus, thank you coming to this earth for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are good and I believe you're God. I believe on the third day after you were killed on the cross, I believe you resurrected from the dead. I believe you conquered death once and for all to give me life once and for all. And so today of my own free will, I choose to make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Lead me and guide me. Show me what's next. It's in your name that I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's put our hands together for who did that.